1: Digital innovators set their sights on the mundane world of insurance. Final salary pensions, are they set to become rather less generous? And strong words from the city watchdog on fund fees have drawn a robust response from the industry. We ask what it all means for investors. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on finance and investing. I'm James Pickford, Deputy FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. The internet has revolutionised the way we book holidays, taxis and restaurants, find a plumber or indeed a romantic partner and buy our groceries. But one area it doesn't yet seem to have touched is the insurance market. Many people still purchase health, travel or car insurance by picking up the phone to call someone in a call centre without any recourse to email, websites or social media. That may be about to change Big insurers are pouring billions into digital innovation projects, while a wave of insurance startups, known of course as insuretech, has emerged to challenge the dominance of the big players. The ideas they're coming up with are set to transform not only the insurance products they will sell us, but potentially the way we pay for them. Oliver Ralph, the FT's insurance correspondent, has been looking at the most promising developments for FT money and is here to tell us about them. Oliver, welcome to The Money Show. Having teleported yourself 20 years into the future to see how the world of insurance uh, will change, what did you find? What kind of ideas are insurers experimenting with and and how close are they really becoming uh, a reality?
2: Well they're experimenting with a lot of ideas insurers are well aware that they're slightly behind the curve when when it comes to sort of technological development and digital initiatives so as you say they're pouring a lot of money into it. Some ideas are closer to becoming a reality than others but they're they're experimenting with all kinds of different ideas and thoughts about how it might change. One area they're very excited about is distribution they they think uh, will be customers will be able to be in touch with their insurers much more often in the future. At the moment you tend to hear from your once a year when the premium is up for renewal, they think that in the future they can use the, this so-called Internet of Things to, to, tell, to be in touch with us more frequently. For instance, we might have robots in our house that would tell us if the, the pipes are about to have a leak or if, um, if there's a problem in another part of the house that, that will prevent problems from happening in the first place. So they're, they're quite excited about sort of the Internet of Things and the potential for that. But they're even more excited about big data. And you would think for an industry that has thrived on its analysis of risk, they they might have used data a lot in the past, and indeed they have. But they're really just starting to catch on to the idea that maybe there's messages in the data that they they don't know about already. Um, There was a potential experiment last year. Admiral wanted to use um, Facebook posts and the language used in Facebook posts to try and assess how good or bad a person was at driving. Now, Facebook eventually got cold feet over that one, and the whole experiment was pulled. But the principle will will remain the same. And we'll see a lot more of insurers trying to use messages and lessons that they see in the data to try and work out how risky we all are.
1: Mm. That's very interesting. I mean, practically speaking, my own experience of of buying insurance doesn't immediately suggest to me it's a a sector uh, ripe for sort of online revolution. When I transact with an insurer it, it seems to involve an endless series of questions about my finances or my health or my personal circumstances but most and most of these seem to be sort of legal requirements that they're they're, they're asked to, to to ask me and um, can is it really realistic to suggest that technology can do away with all that?
2: No, it can't do away with with, um, the insurers needing the information legally. However, the insurers have other ways of collecting it than you sitting at a computer typing it all in or reading it all out of the phone. In theory, all the information, a lot of the information is already available online. So the insurers can collect a lot of your personal data from other sources of information and could just present it to you ready filled out and say here's the form is all this information correct and, and off we go so it should be quite time consuming but there will still need to be legal limits in place and potentially these legal limits will be more important as insurers look to use ever wider sources of data there might be some people who are uncomfortable at sharing that data and there'll be perhaps limits on how much insurers can use and and in what ways they can use it. Um, one of the one of the really contentious areas at the moment is um, the use of genetic data and in health insurance now insurers aren't allowed to use genetic data when pricing your health insurance at the moment but it is the kind of issue that may come up in the future
1: the big question is what's what effect is this likely to have on premiums
2: well it depends who you are if you are a very low risk person and you do a lot of things to to cut out risk in your life then it will probably drive your premiums down a lot if you're a more risky person, then it might drive your premiums up. The, the idea that insurers are very excited about is that they can much more minutely assess how risky you are. So rather than just saying what postcode do you live in and how many locks do you have in your house, they will know about, a lot more about your road, the possessions in your house, and what kind of person you are. And this might help to to generate more data about the the size of your health insurance premium. So the the, the idea is that it will be a lot more accurate than it has been in the past. So For some people, it'll be cheaper. For others, perhaps more expensive.
1: But Potentially, if you don't like the idea of of handing your data over to the insurer, you reject all of that and you want to stick to the clunky old processes. uh, Could that potentially end up costing you more?
2: Potentially, yes. I mean, I'm sure there will be insurers who offer pared down products, but there will be a price to go with that. The insurer will say, well, you're not giving me information to allow me to assess your risk, so I might have to fear the worst about you and and maybe charge you a bit more if you're not going to show me all that data and show me exactly how risky you are or or you're not. So I imagine there will be a market for that. I think there will always be people who don't want to share all their data, but uh, there may be a price tag associated.
1: Well, I've left the most important question till last, Oliver, which is that, you know, you've looked into your crystal ball uh, 20 years hence. Um, Can you offer any reassurance to our listeners that we're not going to have to sit through these appalling insurance uh, TV adverts uh, in the future?
2: Sadly not. I think insurers are going to find a lot more things that we might need to buy insurance for, like our online uh, photos or, or, or online uh, gaming accounts. There'll be even more adverts in the future than there have been in the past. Something for us all to look forward to, I think.
1: Grown. Thanks very much there to Oliver Ralph. Uh, you can read the full FT Money cover feature on the future of insurance online at ft.com money and in the weekend FT. Reforms to the pensions regime have been coming thick and fast in the last three years, so one might have thought this would be a good time for stepping back and consolidating these changes. But this week the government published a discussion document, or green paper, on pensions that floated some radical new ideas about how the rules, and in particular the rules on final salary pensions, might change in future. FT Pensions correspondent Josephine Cumbo has been looking at this 103 page wish list and joins me to talk about it and tell us what it means for retirement savers. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you. What's the government proposing to do on final salary schemes?
3: Well, as you mentioned, this is a very, very big document, over 100 pages, so there's lots of ideas floated in it, James. But I guess the most controversial and interesting ideas that were floated for anyone who's planning to retire soon are to give employers, stressed employers, some leeway to water down the pension promises that they have made to savers. The key pension promise that they're focusing on is the inflation proof. The gold-plated element of financial final salary pensions, which sees your pension rise each year with inflation, keeps it, you know, the spending power. But the problem for employers, if they're stressed, is inflation. Proofing costs them money, so the governor set out a few options to ease pressure on employers who have final salary pensions by either giving them scope to reduce or make those rises less generous or even more controversially to put a hold on those inflation increases from year to year.
1: So is this a recognition by the government that there are lots of companies that are you know, reaching the point where they cannot fund? It was schemes? a
3: recognition, but the key, the key point, and the key takeaway from the green paper was that there isn't any general affordability crisis across the board for most companies. That's the reassuring message that most companies can afford to keep on funding uh, their pension schemes so that the promises can be met in full. But the paper did say that there was a minority of schemes, a minority of employers, perhaps 5% or so. Remember, there's 6,000 of these schemes that are still running. Across the board, there's about 11 million members. So this is really important stuff, but only 5%. So we're talking about a minority who are in trouble. And those proposals, the controversial proposals, are not targeted at everyone there wasn't a case for across the board employers to be given freedom to wind down or water down their pension promises but perhaps those who are most financially troubled should be given that breathing space or that flexibility so it's not you don't have to panic about this happening to all companies it's something that they're thinking about for the small minority of companies who are in trouble
1: so if it happens to you or your your scheme um does it mean you're, you're going to get a less generous treatment? it
3: will it'll mean that you could retire worse off in the in the green paper there was a figure of twenty thousand pounds worse off if your scheme was to shift from RPI for example retail prices index to the consumer prices index which is uh, moves less fast than the retail prices. twenty thousand pounds over the, over a, the course of your lifetime I see. your income will be twenty thousand pounds less generous because the, your employer is now paying you uh, a, a weaker income because it's not rising with the RPI. For example, it's rising with the CPI. So you can see that those that switch would make a lot of savings for the employer, but that's got to come from somewhere and it's got to come from your pockets as a pensioner.
1: So is this an argument A further argument, some would say, in favour of transferring out of defined benefit pensions into defined contribution schemes.
3: I think the first thing to remember was that the government said there was no affordability crisis, you know, across the board in general. There are pockets of employers where there could be, you know, there could be trouble. That's the first point to make. There's no need to panic across the board. But if you're in one of those schemes or you're worried that your employer is looking a bit ropey, the scheme isn't very well funded, I think this is certainly something that should come into your consideration if you are looking to transfer out or looking at uh, cashing in your final salary pension. If your employer does... Um, falter, there is a safety net in the form of the Pension Protection Fund, where which will continue to pay your pension if your employer can't pay it, but you will have an income cut. So I think if you are thinking about um, transferring or cashing in or the future of your retirement income, that the security of your employer should be something that you take into account.
1: Mm. And uh, I mean, do you get the sense that obviously this is a green paper, this is a discussion document, the ideas are floated by the government. Is there a sense that the government is determined to take this further and to press ahead with this Well,
3: idea? this paper was described as a very light green paper. Um, it was very consultative. The ideas were about generating more discussion. There was nothing firm in there, and I think the feeling that the industry has is that we won't be seeing anything for a few years. There was, wasn't anything firm in there. There wasn't that drive or urgency to take things forward very quickly.
1: Thank you very much. That was Josephine Cumbo, FT Pensions Correspondent. And you can read more about how the pensions green paper could affect you on ft.com slash money or in the weekend FT newspaper this Saturday. One of the issues that regularly gets FT money readers hot under the collar is the fees charged by asset managers. The industry and the regulator have so far been unable to resolve the problem of transparency on trading costs, which can seriously affect investors' returns in the long run. Now, though, the Financial Conduct Authority is proposing to force companies to take action on fees. And this week, many of those companies made it clear that they don't like it one bit. Chris Newlands, editor of FTFM, has been delving into the fee issue for FT Money this week and is on the line now to tell us about it. Chris, thanks for joining us. What is the FTA proposing asset managers do about fees?
4: Hi, James. Um... So the regulator has proposed uh, the introduction of what's been called an all-in fee. Uh, Basically it's a headline fee so that investors know um, exactly what they're paying for. Um, The concern is that investors incur unexpected charges throughout the year, such as trading costs and stamp duty, that are not included at the moment in annual management fees. And so basically they'll have a better idea of what it is they're paying for. This fee proposal was put forward um, by the FCA in November as part of its sweeping investigation into the asset management industry. Um, And at that time, the watchdog found that only one in five investors knew that they footed the bill for trading costs at all, which obviously affects their returns.
1: And and so what have companies now said about this uh, proposal for the all-in fee?
4: Um, well, you might say, surprise, surprise. Um, but asset managers have pushed back against the introduction of this uh, all-in fee. Uh, by having this one, uh, one fee, um, it would force asset managers to build an estimate of future trading costs into their annual management um, fees. They, they would have to do that in advance. And Vanguard, which is the uh, world's second biggest um, investment house. So that this could encourage um, asset managers to inflate their estimates of trading costs to protect their own profits, which would make investors worse off. Um, There there is another argument that if a fund company placed more trades than it had said it would, then given it would now have to cover the cost of these transactions themselves, uh, then it might discourage them from placing trades that could improve performance for investors. you know, it's an argument. Whether you, you you buy that argument is is another is another question.
1: Mm, that's interesting. Um, I understand that a related problem is that fund managers are effectively tracking indexes, um, something which tracker funds obviously do at a much lower cost. But how widespread is that?
4: Uh, so it's a problem. Um, the um, European Markets Regulator, uh, called ESMA, uh, studied the performance of two thousand six hundred funds. Across Europe between 2012 and 2014, and found that as many as 400 uh, equity funds were making grand and uh, rather expensive claims to beat the market, but did little more than hug their benchmarks. Uh, these have become known as uh, "closet trackers." The problem is that ESMA did not name those funds, um, but last week Better Finance, an influential campaign group, it did name those funds. It replicated the ESMA study. And published a list of 80 investment companies that it believes have potentially sold funds that charge high fees for active management but closely mimic their benchmark uh, according to the campaign group fidelity jp morgan amundi schroders and henderson five of the world's largest asset management houses each oversee billions of euros in funds that could be classed as closet trackers this is obviously a problem
1: but that's a very interesting. Going back to the all-in fee, I mean, the companies have come out against this, but presumably the regulator, and the, and the same goes for, for the European regulators, they have the whip hand in this debate. I mean, how does the industry think this is likely to be resolved? Are they are they just going to have to lump it?
4: I think so. We've been here before. As early as 2000, the then FSA, uh, the former name for the FCA, highlighted the issue of hidden fees in a discussion paper, but nothing came of it. There's been talk since then, um, saying that though, the FCA's own credibility is on the line, and uh, from the conversations I've had with policymakers and uh, experts in the industry, the mood music is different this time, and uh, I think asset managers are going to have to
1: brace themselves for change. Thank you very much there to Chris Newlands, whose column you can read online at FT.com/money, or in the weekend FT. Have you got a story you'd like the FT Money team to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at money at ft.com, tweet us at at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com money. The Money Show will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye.